Is that Glock? Well, I'm tripping major nutsack right now. Oh, send it! Welcome to the world of winning. Hello and welcome back to an edition of the Switchback Formula One podcast. My name is Graham and joining me as always, the latest emo in the crew, possibly, it's Luke Holmes. Hi, Graham. Hi. How are we doing? Not too shabby yourself. You've had an interesting weekend. I've had a very interesting weekend. Um, I am now part emo, apparently. Went to an emo club for the first time. Thought I was going to hate it, and actually really enjoyed it. So, so I, was I, full on like head banging to everything. I imagine the music was top notch for a start. Yes, there was obviously songs that I had no idea, but then there was also like some punk punk pop. That is what it's called, like what everybody knows. If you know what I mean, like the quite like the classics that are quite common if you were like, I watch like, any American film from the 2000s yeah like I gotta say there's gonna be some My Chemical Romance and My Chemical like Romance that. Screen Day yeah yeah um some even like Visa Highway and all that kind of stuff like thrown into the full on like heavy metal stuff where there was this one guy in the middle of the dance floor and he had a ponytail and he was just full on head banging with spinning his ponytail around it was hilarious <laughs> to watch and I loved him for doing it it was so good I imagine the fashion sense was was there anything particular like I assume was it, was it particularly themed or was it just people were there and it was there was a girl that we was with who's my girlfriend's cousin she was fully dressed up and was like in a Halloween outfit I was is it the easiest way to describe it like full on like fishnet stockings um, blood dripping down her and like she was basically like a vampire it it, it was amazing but. Not my kettle of fish, but it was she. She slayed, and the club itself, chains, spikes, etc. <laughs> no, surprisingly not. Actually, no? there's a pool table in it. It's quite cool, actually. It kind of sounds like this something. Is, this is of... in Blackpool for anybody. Who, <laughs> anybody who knows the club that I'm talking about is called Tash. Tash, not bad. I'm kind of getting like an image of like that pub that's in uh, oh, something in Philadelphia. It's kind of a dark, grungy kind of. Yeah, basically. It was quite dark, but it was quite open, but there was, like, split levels to it and one massive dance floor and then, like, the chill area with the pool table and some, like, couch seating and stuff. So it was quite quite nice vibe, actually. I was kind of, like, apprehensive going into it because I was like, okay, this is not, not really me. Mm-hmm. But then you come out of it afterwards and I'm like, yeah, okay, that was actually fantastic. really enjoyed that. Glad you went with an open mind. And uh, you're worse than the worst for wears, though, in this, on this Sunday. Oh, yes, yes. I've uh, thrown up twice. Um, woke up at 2 o'clock as the race was starting, which is fantastic. So please bear with me this, this week's podcast because I've literally gone on the race highlights this weekend because it's my girlfriend's birthday, so I've not really had a chance to watch anything. And I'm working really long shifts this week, so sort of had to cram the podcast in at a, at a late <laughs> night on Sunday. <laughs> Uh, we'll squeeze through it. But glad you had a, you had a good time, uh, regardless. Yes. A bit of housekeeping first, actually. Uh, one, I was told that there were some issues with uh, availability of this podcast on Apple Podcasts, so hopefully that's all fixed now. Uh, you should find this on Apple Podcasts, because uh, I spent some time on this during the week when I was told about this. Uh, Amazon Podcasts it should be on now as well. And it was on Google. Google when Podcasts. Yeah. 
So I've Spotify, kind of Spotify, of course. Yeah, Spotify as always. Uh, so I've kind of that's some of those some of those should be cleaned up a little bit now. Uh, I also took liberty to I had to do an email. So we've got we've got an email for the podcast. So oh okay yeah. So since we're, we're moving up in the world, aren't yeah. We? So since it's a summer break and we, there's a chance we might have some stuff to kill. Uh, if you want any motorsport related question answered or our take on any motorsport related topic or whatever the fuck, uh, just send an email through. Uh, the email address is switchbackf1 at hotmail.com. Oh, God. Um, just out of convenience. <laughs> so that's, that's switchbackf1 at hotmail.com. All lowercase, all this, all rammed in. So. Yeah, if you there's any topic you want your, our thoughts on, uh, I, dare I say, it doesn't even have to be rose related. Uh, it's, 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 uh, Send us some personal questions. Why yeah, not? Yeah, do it. Why not? So that's there. We've got we've got three weeks to kill. Yeah, so work away. We can <laughs> solve your relationship uh, uh, crisis. I'm sure not yours, but just <laughs> people listening in general. Uh, so yeah, there's that. Right, uh, moving on then. Uh, it was a busy old week, I'd say, in F1 news. We'll it get, was. We'll get, it really was. We'll get to the Belgian Grand Prix, but let's just start with. Uh, we'll start with this first, actually. So, uh, I mean, I mean, this one for Sky Sports, but obviously a lot of places had it was announcement from F1 during the week that uh, all F1 teams are going to have drivers and liveries for the 2024 F1 Academy season. Uh, now, my thoughts on the F1 Academy at this point are: I would love to know more of it. Really. Um, yeah. Same. You know, and I think this has been the the I'd say the the largest uh, in, I guess I won't say indictment, but I guess large la- the largest criticism is that it's not readily accessible to watch or follow. Really, you know, you've to work you like you know you're like talk about highlights. Like this is this is all you're working with. You're working with highlights, and as you know, like it can be so out of context, so uh, it makes it difficult to carry on. But basically, F one is like going to have one driver. Uh, each team's going to have is they're going to have a car and a nominated driver, so to speak. Uh, that's going to run the livery, and then yeah, they're kind of they're not representing us. So I guess they are in a sense, but so there'll be for, there's 15 cars in the grid currently because they have each five teams: ART, Campos, MP Motorsport, Prima, and uh, Roden Carlin, all of which were familiar in the junior categories. Uh, but they're going to have one of their uh, one car is going to have an F1 livery. Now some of these already do. Uh, most notably, Abby Pulling already has the uh, Alpine livery, of course. She's part of the Alpine. Oh, gosh. Is she affiliate or academy these days? She's the academy. She's academy, right. Same so, as Sophia. Sophia, I think, is is more so part of the race her, their Race Her program. Yes, yeah. So but I'm sure, based on what she's been doing recently, that might change. Possibly, possibly. Uh, so there's that, and then the other, the other only other F1 uh, affiliated uh, F1 Academy driver I know now is Lena Bueller, who is part of the Alfa Romeo uh, setup. Um, so other than that, uh, I think yeah, I think no one else is part of the group. But if I had to speculate on if if, if it was if it was this grid, I would like I had to I had to randomly just for fun guess who would be uh, nominated for a, a team. Like obviously we have two already set. So I don't think that's going to change. Uh, championship leader Marta Garcia I threw up between like either Ferrari or Red Bull just because why not uh, she does have an affiliation with Mercedes but it's it's a local dealer not, not the, she has a Mercedes badge on her overalls but it's not because she's affiliated with the Mercedes F1 side of things it's because she has a uh, it's just part of her local um, sponsorship so uh, but maybe they could tie into that uh, I actually thought Mercedes would go for the one of the Alcabasis yeah that would probably be 
more realistic. It would line yeah. up with what you know they're they're about. So I thought that would be interesting. Nerea Marty maybe for Aston Martin just to I don't know, yeah. keep the link. Uh, to do so, I don't know what I don't know what the I don't know, maybe one of the other Alcabasis, maybe whichever one isn't taken. Uh, I think they I think they'll both they, they will, would be uh, to, to do so. Maybe Red Bull for a fry or a fry for one of those. Uh, I don't know. I just like to, it's, it's just fun to speculate, isn't it? Uh, Williams, I mean, like Chloe Grant, isn't that? I think just seems that very it seems very obvious. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Anyway, there was F one Academy running over the weekend in France, but. Uh, They've won round left. They're actually going to be linking up with uh, Inkota, so they're, they're for their, their season finale. So I think that will actually be with an F1 weekend. Uh, but yeah, Marta Garcia is going to win that championship anyway. She's very, very clear in front. So unless a disaster happens, that'll be that taken care of. So yeah, please. Like I remember, so I remember reading the races verdict on this, and Scott Mitchell-Mamp basically nailed this. Basically, is like he's 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 also clamoring just to get it accessible. Get we can actually just flipping watch it. Um, yeah. I think that's the next logical step, right? It has to be. Now they've like sort of elevated themselves to F1 teams being affiliated, then um, surely we uh, we move on a little bit. Yeah, in that sense. Has, like we like if you want people to engage and follow the flipping series, then it needs to be accessible and live. So I mean, it's, it's neither of these things at the moment. It's just highlight videos on YouTube, which. Fair enough, can have a use, but yeah, again, it's just not ideal. For like for all Sky Sports' fault, at least they flipping broadcast uh, W Series, you know. They're very... Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? It's, it was there and available at the time, which I know I wasn't the biggest fan of it, but I would still watch it if it was there. Yeah, definitely. Even, even just the, the highlights being on YouTube for whatever. The, the, this one, Fair F1 Academy, I can't even remember what it was called then. Um... <laughs> I just wish there was more. I really do because I want to see. I'm interested. Yeah, I, I am as well. So I've been loosely. I've been. I've. I, I arguably think the best way to keep up with this series is on Instagram. That's where I follow F1 Academy. Yeah. Uh, I arguably think. I arguably think the the coverage there is of like not obviously just in general for the series is just is just better there than anywhere else really. So that's where I, I that's where I keep up anyway. So I've been keeping up with all the all the races really and the results. Uh, if I had to, you had to pull me for a favourite driver, I would say uh, Hamda Alcabasi and Bianca Bustamante. I think are my favourite F1 Academy drivers. Yeah. So that's just that's just my personal personal take. Uh, moving on though, uh, some lot of personnel news over the weekend. We'll start with the first one that was announced, which was a Ferrari basically confirming the Lauren Mecki's departure. That's they finally sorted this out. Uh, there was uh, there was a bit of to and fro, and obviously we knew with this. And so they have Mekis is, is now going to be on gardening leave, and he'll be able. So he's now going to be able to officially link up with AlphaTauri to uh, as their new team principal next season. Yes, finally. I could have told you this two months ago. This was happening, but finally mm. we've actually got the deal agreed. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like it was supposedly AlphaTauri, of course, jumped the gun with the whole thing, and the exit yeah. hadn't been negotiated with Ferrari, and. Yeah, all this kind of, but now it's all finally sorted, so that'll be that'll be fine. Uh, in his place, Diego Ioverno. Yes, he's been with the team for a long time, I believe. Twenty-three years. Yes. So he's going to be taking much like someone else in the Formula One paddock. Mm, well, we'll, we'll get, get to there, that. But we're, we're, I've just had to. Uh, <laughs> well, I have a, tr- have a smooth transition plan for all this. So love that. Uh, so yeah, so that's that's just official, just official confirmation that uh, Mekis is. Uh, 
Now, no part, no longer part of the Ferrari setup and getting ready to move on for. It's gonna be interesting to see. Again, I'm fascinated to see his view take on. Like it's a Ferrari hire in a Red Bull controlled team, so to speak. Hmm. So it's gonna be interesting. Someone outside the Red Bull stable, where that's never been the case before. Like so, their interests are always aligned. So I, I just interesting how to see what the conformity level is going to be for uh, for Mecky. So yeah, I, we talked about that more at the time, of course. Right, we knew that the F1 Commission was going to be meeting uh, between uh, the weekend here at the Belgian Grand Prix. So a number of items came from this. Uh, these are in no particular order. Uh, but the F1 Commission firstly rejected uh, the call to limit standing starts or standing restarts. Uh, this was in response to the Australian Grand Prix, of course, with the, the shenanigans that happened there. Uh, so the decision to use a standing start that day was... Uh, was criticised, but the commission discussed whether the limit. Uh, reading this from RaceFans.net and Keith Collentine, the F1 Commission discussed whether to limit the number of standing restarts, which may be used in races, or prevent them from being used in the final laps. However, both proposals failed to win the support of sufficient sufficient teams to be taken forward. And the FIA announced in a statement: uh, "Current practice is to always restart the race from a standing grid start, provided track conditions are suitable." However, the concept of a mixed point uh, in races after which any resumption would be done with a rolling start and whether there should be a limit on the total number of standing starts uh, there could be in the race were considered. The ideas presented did not receive sufficient support from commission members to be taken further at this stage. However, the group reaffirmed that the final decision on this topic always remained at the discretion of the race director based on the specific conditions of each restart. And they have, to be fair, they've, they have mixed. Uh, this, is week, this weekend was a good example of that. They... they uh, there's a lot of rolling starts this weekend. So like, it has very much been up to the... I, I think I'm fine with it being left in the hands of the race director here. Yeah, yeah, of course. It's just if it's... So sometimes if it's very obvious that it needs just to be a standing start, and other times it doesn't, then it gets annoying. But it's up to the race director, I guess. Mm-hmm. So not much to say about that. It was, uh, yeah, one of the lesser ones on the, on the docket. Uh, this next one on the old docket was one that we kind of were expecting. It was the official rejection of the the ban on tire warming blankets for 2024. Uh, Shocked. Yeah, shock. The, the test did not go particularly uh, planning. Uh, the plan well, rather. Uh, the idea of this, of course, is, is just to reduce the amount of freight that it, it takes to carry with these things as general part of a, the F1's net zero uh, target by uh, 2030. So, uh, in response to this, uh, the FIA said that uh, the tyres probably had hit the... Uh, sorry, the, the FI said in the statement, I'm still reading from race fans, uh, that the tyres probably had hit the, quote, requested target specifications, end quote, and did not give a reason why a decision had been taken to postpone the ban. So, that's it. Well, yeah, the, I can give you the reason. The shite, for a start. Yeah. Um, however, the the uh, the a statement of relation went on to say, uh, probably reporting on the outcome of the test... Uh, this test to the uh, F1 Commission. The results of the testing undertaken so far show that the change can be implemented to the requested target specifications for 2024. However, it has been decided to postpone the introduction of a tyre blanket ban for dry tyres in 2024 and to continue this discussion and further testing into 2025. Which I think it's, makes sense. I think I remember James Vowles talking about this and he said it were like, basically like, he was basically like, we're not there yet, so to speak. Like it's... You know, yeah, we're not. We're the, clearly not. The general sense was that it was coming along, but not not in time, really, to be regarded as suitable for 2024. So we'll see what happens this time next year when this is brought up again. But 
Yeah, the drivers have been super critical. Verstappen continues to be very critical about this, even over the weekend again. Um, said that cars would look stupid um, pedaling around with no tires, blankets, was what he said. Yeah, don't blame him on that one at all. Mm. So, yeah, there was that. So we kind of knew that was coming. Uh, as well as this, the FIA are also examining how to equalise engine performance after... Now, just to make an amendment... Last week, the reporting was it was FIA's request. Now it turns out it was Alpine's request. So okay. we've kind of uh, we've, makes sense. we've kind of gone back with this now. So uh, to, to do the FIA said it uh, had this to say about the topic. At the start of this regulation cycle, it was agreed with the power unit manufacturers that there would be a possibility for adjustment of PE performance from 2023 onwards in order to avoid a significant performance difference being locked in for an extended period. The FIA has been anal- analysing the PU performance of the cars during the first half of 2023 and concluded that there is one such noble performance gap <laughs> between competitors. On the basis of the committee of the PU manufacturers and of the performance dif- uh, differences reported above, the F1 Commission discussed ways to remedy the dis- this discrepancy. The power unit manufacturers represented at the commission agreed to give a mandate to the power unit advisory committee, my goodness, so many committees, uh, to consider this topic and bring back uh, bring proposals back to the commission. Mm. So, uh, Othmar Safnauer, who's the part, uh, yeah, so uh, we'll get to that. Uh, all, so all teams do, the, he had this to say at the, t- at the time, the formerly Othmar Safnauer. Uh, all the teams do the same analysis and the FIA do the same analysis and we are significantly down, is what uh, Safnauer had to say. Uh, Bruno Fomont uh, had, uh, funny enough, played down the deficit and he said, I don't think it's so down. It's down. It's not the best engine of the grid for sure. We made a huge steps between 21 and 22, but still not the, not the best engine. Uh, the FIA put the topic on the table because I understand there was a kind of agreement when the engine freeze had been decided. The FIA put the topic on the table and that's it. Uh, so, yeah, well, well, we'll get to that. But anyway, uh, however, this manifests. Uh, just, yeah, interesting. Uh, it's, just a, it's still such a weird... Alpine as normal providing the yearly entertainment. Yeah, it's just a. And we're not even at the juicy bit yet. No, it's just a weird, it's just a weird thing. This whole thing. Of, of course, Bruno Fromage is not uh, going to criticise his own engine that he helped <laughs> no. over, oversee. No, that's not the problem. Well, uh, of course not. <laughs> when we could blame someone else, we we have to, right? Typical Alpine culture, that. Uh, anyway, blame someone else. Mm-hmm. As well as this, they apparently discussions in making F1's 2026 cars uh, re- a reduction in size and weight, something we've long talked about on this podcast, um, apparently are going pretty well. They made, quote, significant progress, uh, end quote. So, yeah, I'm excited for that prospect. These cars are far too wide, far too big. And any reduction in their dimensions, I think, would be excellent for the show. So in, in, in any regard, basically. So... I'm down, and I am of the like. I am of the opinion where you just give the developers or um, you, you give the flipping technical uh, people. I'm blanking on the name. Uh, I'm blank. Uh, personnel, employees, whatever. Uh, you give them a, a set like reduce car weight by ten percent. Go, rather than all this faffing around about. If it could be done, like you know, what I mean, like these are the best, some of the best engineers in the world, with the best technical designers in the world, set them a target, and if it's so impossible, then they it won't be done. But because like everyone's just going to argue otherwise about how, like, like 
agendas and etc will take place like if you just give them a directive i think yeah. you'd be surprised what they could actually do with that once they know what they're actually working with exactly so i'm, so I'm trying to very poorly attempt to say um so fingers crossed this would be fantastic uh I'm actually one of the, I would yeah I'd prefer, I prefer the the size of the cast like I know the weight can be difficult but I, the size I think could definitely be sorted out. Mm, definitely. Um, so fingers crossed on that. This next one I think is probably the most controversial one. Uh, we know Williams been pushing for this for a while. They are of the opinion that well it's a fact that their infrastructure and facilities are out of date. And now there's a limit to how teams can improve these under the cost cap which risks Williams being left behind, so to speak. This is something James Valls has talked about often this season. It's probably been his biggest priority, I would say, as Williams' team principal. I think this has been yeah. number one on his general kind of bigger picture list is this whole uh, CapEx, capital expenditure headroom. So I'm going to read from motorsport.com and Adam Cooper as to how discussions went here at uh, the commission. Do-do-do-do-do. Uh, Friday's F1 commission in Spa discussed two levels of extra expenditure allowance for all teams as well as an alternative option that would see uh, team projects such as a new simulator or gearbox dyno assessed on a case-by-case basis. But after a series of votes, no conclusion was reached and instead the matter was referred to further discussion by the Financial Advisory Committee, just another flipping committee, and the deadline for a vote was extended to the end of October. And this is what James Val had to say on the subject. If I wind back, February 20th, which is a few days after I started here, was the first day I put on the table that we as Williams need help. We cannot compete at the front with the facilities we have at the factory. That remains the case today. That hasn't changed. And in five months or so, it's unfortunate, and it's disappointing, frankly, that we're in a situation where, again, that meeting, I would argue, went round in circles, if nothing else. And to a certain extent, it will do, because everyone in that room wants to make sure they're not losing out relative to everyone else. And there was no way of doing it. There's no way of just letting Williams gain facilities, especially in a circumstance where we're currently sitting seventh in the championship. You know that other teams will be hurt by the fact that we could put millions in and some are in different positions. Some don't have the money to spend, some don't want to spend the money, and some are fearful of change. Aligning that in one room in the space of two hours simply is not possible. Uh, Val's noted that it was inevitable that the current top teams do not want to see change and he urged them to see the bigger picture. On every note, this is Val's now again, on every note, it wasn't a surprise, particularly how it voted and when we spoke about who needs to catch up. Basically, on one side of the table, this is coincidence, by the way, we don't line up this way. We're, uh, we're the teams at the back of the grid and the other team, and then on the other side of the table, the teams at the front end of the grid. And it'll be no surprise that the back of the grid, near enough, all unanimously had the hands up most uh, for most of these votes. The ones at the front of the grid did not. There were some expectations to that. Uh, this is about the greater good of the sport. I really do believe this. I appreciate I have more to gain than others. You need you need to be that way on any given Sunday. You don't know who's going to who's going to particularly win. And sorry, the dominance doesn't exist the way it does at the moment. I think that's good for the the sport. To that to do that, everyone needs to have facilities that are not even on par, but the ability to reduce performance and move forward. And that's not the case as it is today. Uh, Valves then also confirmed that the case-by-case option didn't get much traction in the meeting compared to the spending increase across the board. And he said, so the blanket increase was one that uh, that had the most support, as you would imagine, because all teams across the grid uh, benefit from it. It's not the right solution for the sport, but even so, as Williams... uh, 
I would have preferred a blanket increase over nothing, which is where we are today. On a case-by-case basis, as you'd imagine, the hand started to drop. My hand was actually aching for the amount of time I held it in the air at that period of time, and it dropped quite considerably by the time we were on a case-by-case. Regarding the next steps, Val said, it's hard to know what's going to change over the next two months, which is the next point we'll get together and talk about this, because everyone's fears of where they lie in the championship and how it affects them short-term and how powerful Williams could become as a result of it will still be there. But I'm hoping out of all of it, as it's undoubtedly agreed in that room, that Williams, amongst all the peers, is is the one with the least amount of facilities and that needs rectifying. And we'll have another go at fixing that and seeing if we get people's mindsets mindsets to modify. Uh, the race expanded on this a little bit more, the specifics. Um, this is from Ed Straw, Scott Mitchell, ma'am. When, F- when F1's cost cap is talked about, uh, it is normally in the context of operational expenses, uh, said this year, 135. There's also a capital expenditure. This is the capex we talked about. Uh, limited a limit described by Vows as 36 million spread across four years. So he said, and they write two proposals were discussed. One across the board, in, an across the board increase that everyone benefit from, with Vows suggesting both 50 and 70 million were discussed. This had the necessary support from the teams, but not from the FIA and F1. This is because it goes against the objective of the cost cap as raising the spending limit will allow the bigger teams to continue to spend heavily on facilities. The other suggestion favoured by Williams would allow would allow teams deemed to have a deficit requiring an increased capex spending to eliminate it based on benchmarking facilities against other teams based on the greed framework. That garners less support. Now, I really like that last one. It's, it's, like, Same. Were it's they basically sh- like giving a handicap to all the other teams and then letting Williams catch up all the other teams who haven't got the right facilities or near enough on the same level catch up. It's strange. Like, well, they're literally doing this with the engine. Like, what's different about the, like, in a case-by-case basis? Yeah. Like, it's, if yeah. you're doing a case-by-case, it's fair because it's it's a general admission that, and everyone seems to be admitting this, that Williams don't have the facilities that everyone else does. And this, They don't have the facilities for that big one. No, they do not. Uh and to, to be honest, it should be something that needs that. That one's I think is the most logical one because, like you say, the cost cap is there for a reason. Yeah. So like, so they, no one exploits it, and the teams that are in need that for the sake of the competition and the show, they need to improve. Then they can do so. I mean, when benchmark, like you don't like you don't need to. I, I, I dare even say like they don't even need to benchmark against flipping like Mercedes or Ferrari. Like stick someone Just, like, like I don't know. Uh, Alfa Romeo like Alfa or, or Alfa Tauri you know just a, a middle ground team yeah that's all they need to do and then just get them to within a certain percentage of it over the course of time it's not something that's going to be fixed straight away is it because these things need time to be put into place but because mm-hmm. obviously I think Williams will need new facilities building or an expansion of the the current facilities to make things work and be better for them but it's it should be it should be something that I I would go down that route personally. I think the the first option was uh, quite silly because obviously Mercedes, Red Bull, and Ferrari will spend what needs to be spent as much as they can if they are given the option. Yeah, I can understand why the FI and F one didn't want to do that, but the second one you can see why the teams because they don't have anything to get they 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 nothing to gain from the it. Point? Yeah, that's the thing. Apart from Williams, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm disappointed because I feel for Vals on this on this topic. I really do. Like you know, you, you know, you need to look at the floor sh- shite from Monaco to look at the uh, the lack of uh, detail and the such. That's, 
Heck, um, we've we've mentioned about Val's talking about the facilities difference between Mercedes and Williams, and like how it is quite bonkers the difference. Uh, I don't. Yeah, I'm I'm annoyed for him. I, I really am. I think this is the one that should have been the most general sense one. And it felt like it seemed also. I think it's a surprise vows because it, he's talked about this earlier, and it's see, it felt like he had enough support from other teams. And I don't know. I feel I can't help but feel he's been done dirty by Toto Wolf here because if he's talking about the top teams, I have to imagine then. I don't know. I would have thought maybe Toto Wolf would have been a bit more empathetic to help and make yeah. and maybe push some support in his direction. Um. But that's you know, I, I'm, we don't know. Like we, we've no idea. But he's assuming, based on what Val said about top teams, we have to assume Mercedes is part of that group that it was on one side and the, the smaller teams on the other. Yeah. Um, and look, Mercedes have to act in their own interests, and I would hope Val's and Williams act in theirs when something else comes to the fore and it's a, it's a, the small versus big teams again was something the big teams want to push for. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm frustrated for this one. I I. I would like to see them have proper facilities and a case-by-case -case basis is a very sensible thing to do and for the greater good I think it should be something they should agree on and I don't understand the difference between this and the people entertaining the shy from Alpine at the moment for for incompetence now you could I guess you could argue the same for Williams side of things like it's not there like it's not other teams fault that they didn't have the injection of uh, cash into uh, into the infrastructure and the such over the last 20 years but it, yeah, at the end of the day, the result is the same. On. And if they're trying to help Alpine in that regard, they should help Williams in this regard. Yeah. It also says a lot about James Fowles as a person because um, he's been pushing so many topics to gain for Williams, which I have not seen a team principal do for a long time, up and down the grid. He's he's really fighting for them. Like he like I I really like I don't think anyone's done more of a one eighty in terms of image, I think, this year than um, in my mind, for then James Valls, like being out of that Mercedes PR machine shite. And uh, I've just loved what he's fought for, for Williams' interest. I've loved his transparency on issues, his honesty. Uh, I've, I've, I can't speak high enough of what I think the job that he's doing and how he's absolutely the. He, they could not have got a more right person for this job. Literally, the one of the buyers of the last centre, I think. I've loved it. Um, they've, and they made another one. Oh, what a segue that is! Um, they made a yes. very good hire to their technical division. They hired Pat Fry from Alpine, and he is going to become their new chief technical officer. Finally, <laughs> we finally got Yay. one. Uh, and it's a good one at that. A man with lots of experience. Now, that's not necessarily a good thing, as we've seen in the past with Williams hiring people of that nature. <laughs> but Cough, Paddy, I think this, I think this one has got enough experience in the right areas to uh, push the team in the right direction. And, and I'm sure under James Val's leadership, he's the right man for the job. Because mm -hmm. this has been going on negotiations-wise since April, is what James was saying on uh, Sky when I was watching qualifying, I believe it was. Or the sprint shootout, one of the two. Um, seeing as it was the sprint this weekend, which sort of messed everything up for me. But <laughs> obviously James being as open as he is with a, as a team principal made makes everything so much better and so much more clearer um but i i like this one quite a lot actually yeah see down the paddock it seems like it's, it's viewed as a very a very solid hire uh just for smart mm, uh, a couple of background stuff on, on pat fry he began with benetton in 1993 
uh, or sorry, no, he was sorry, Benetton in uh, late eighties, I think, and then in McLaren, he was from ninety three to two thousand ten with McLaren. He was their chief engineer, so obviously he was involved in a lot of successes at McLaren. He's actually one of the people behind the F duct, if you remember that innovation. Yes, I do. So. Uh, he was with Ferrari for a brief period of time as assistant technical director and then became engineering director, then moved to Manor in 2014, uh, where he was there until that team fold in 2016. Brief return in 2018 to McLaren uh, while they were kind of overseeing before James Key came in, uh, while that was waiting to happen. And yeah, then obviously back to the end stone as it is now. So yeah, the general, like, the general consensus is that based on reporting, it's like it seemed like he was quite happy to go yeah, as, as certain other people are as well which is quite I'm, I'm definitely not shocked no I think he's I think he's happy to move on and yeah the Williams the, the uh, Val's are talking about uh, overhauling the technical department and he was telling he told Sky uh, that he kind of knew what was happening in the, from this in June and said he's a very clear mind in my mind now what that looks like yeah so Good. This is a good one to have. Obviously, you won't see the benefits of this immediately because of, oh, like, obviously, if it takes them to link up and a year or so on the job. So, what well, you're thinking, what, 25 maybe by the time you might see Fry's uh, a significant handprint, I would say, on Williams's car. But, yeah. A step in the right direction, absolutely. And they finally have a chief technical officer, which they haven't for uh, since a uh, good old FX to uh, Maison departed. Who? Hmm? Yeah. The band's name is FX. Uh, Right. Yes, right. Let's get to the Alpine stuff then. Uh, Well, (laughs) Um, thank you again, Alpine, for this time of year providing us with more content. Honestly, I don't know what we'd do without you. You've honestly made my life um, the best it's ever been when I come (laughs) to F1 News. Honestly, you give me peak content, and I'm so here for it. And I tried to explain this entire situation to my girlfriend. And she was like, I need to see Drive to Survive to understand this better, but it sounds like there's a lot of tea. And I was like, yes. That's a great a way to put tea. it. Uh, yes. We thought that the Alpine uh, drama would end with Lauren Rossi's departure. Um, yes, yes, of course. How 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 wrong we were. First of all, yes. like we, <laughs> when we said last week that I can't believe Otmar Safnar has outlasted Lauren Rossi, I fully was working on the assumption that Otmar was absolutely safe. Same. Um, and so I, we saw a little report. I saw a little report on on Twitter from the Queep, reporting that both Otmar Safnauer and good old I can't remember his name, Alan Permain. Alan Permain, sporting director Alan Permain, sporting director, the man who runs things for Alpine. He is the uh, guy that gets out the rule book when when you need him to. Mm-hmm. Had both been released from their duties at Alpine post the Belgian Grand Prix. That was the most bizarre thing. Like, not only is this a... We could talk about the wacky decision that this is to relieve both of these guys. They did it... Ju- they announced it during a race weekend. They have jobs to do on site and have to go about the rest of the weekend. Everyone has to be around on the rest of the weekend knowing that at the end of the weekend, that's it. They're gone. What, what on earth is the incentive for them to hang around here? Like, just... What well, is the, the thing point? is... Alan did, but Otmar didn't. Otmar was gone. <laughs> Otmar was like, nah, he wasn't even on the pit wall the entire weekend. I'm glad, actually. He, he fucked off before the race even started, from what I've just seen on Twitter. Brilliant. Um, yeah, good on him as well. Thank you, I, yeah. I, I, I like Otmar. He's, he's made some bizarre choices the last few years, and I'm sure 
Oscar Piastri was uh, very happy with himself post sprint, but we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> it's it's funny. It is very funny, but also fucking bizarre. Fucking bizarre. Like I, I don't understand. I really don't. I thought they. I I honestly thought with with Rossi gone, Ockmar just be allowed to get on with the job as as he's best thrives in. He's just left alone to do it. No interference from management above. We saw how in conflict this was at Aston Martin with Lawrence Stroll and obviously with Lawrence Rossi. Uh, I would just assume that you know now he was out of the picture, moved aside. It would just allow Ockmar to get going and get to work and. Uh, yeah, Safnar said at the Hungarian after the Hungarian Grand Prix uh, about you know interference from management etc. And that he'd be given the time. Uh, Safnar said, "I have no concern that Luca De Meo will be true to his word and give me hundred, give me the hundred race time that's required." He didn't even get one. No, he didn't. That's the thing. That's just the mind blowing thing. One. And I assume this decisions come from Bruno Fermat, but after there there was a meeting and things are decided mutually that it was the time to part ways because their visions did not line up is was what the quote I saw, which yeah, I think is visions fucking ludicrous. And results that didn't meet expectations was what the the line was. And Omar gave a great great quote to Sky Germany. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely great quote. I can't get nine nine women pregnant and expect to have a baby in one month's time. It, it doesn't work like that. But he's right He's literally spot on with it because there isn't a better analogy for it because Alpine are sort of expecting to have the results now. Yes, they probably should be a bit further on than what they are. Fine, I accept that. Um, and obviously losing the fifth place in the constructors to McLaren recently and them sort of dropping backwards hasn't helped things. But sort of jumping the gun when there isn't really anybody to replace them. Right. Someone lined up, which we'll get to once we've sort of discussed this entire thing. Um, why would you sack them before the race even gets going <laughs> and then expect them to put in 100% of effort yeah why do that race weekend? why like, do this in the first like I assume I actually think, I assume it's Luca DeMeo's decision uh, and maybe on the recommendation of Bruno Fumar I would say it's just which it's... is which is weird coming from the guy that was head of the engine department. Yeah, is now the calling the shots when his department was the one that has sort of put them on the back foot and now begging the FIA to bring in. Surely he would be the one that's. <laughs> this is what I you know. said to me. Surely he would be the guy that gets it in the neck, but it's not. It's it's everybody else, which is the typical Alpine culture at the minute, and it's so toxic. And we've said this from the get go, like with the all the comments about being amateurs and all the interviews with mm-hmm. that Lauren Rossi had done earlier on in the season, basically absolutely slating the team to the media, which is twice. Not really, yeah, not <laughs> not even once. Fucking twice. Honestly, th- this team is in urgent need of a rebuild. It's and dire. It is honestly Eric Dyer. Mm-hmm. It is terrible. Like, <laughs> I don't understand how they can go forward from this. I have no idea. They're going to have to, obviously, but they've got they've got no choice. Yeah, but... <laughs> they can't just stop. Although they probably should, because there's nothing else to gain really from this season. They're yeah, going to finish sixth. Not... Yeah, they're, they're finishing sixth regardless, unless they win a couple of races, and that's not fucking happening. No, because there's too many teams in front of them that will get the opportunity before they do. Um, and obviously, Alpine are just too chaotic to maintain a consistent race anyway. So it. Honestly, Ugh. 
the, the decision to sack them before the race weekend was literally bizarre. You've got a summer break now for three weeks. Surely they yeah. could have done this on Monday. Surely. Well, as you're listening to this, I would have expected 9am, bang on the dot, Otmar and Alan Pemain, and obviously the guy the guy who's gone to Williams, Pat Fry, has um, all been released from their, from their duties. But apparently not, because that's been more chaotic. Mm-hmm. Uh, my thoughts on this are scattered. Like it's, Is it, yeah. My, I, I'm I'll try and get through them. Um, Safnar should have been left alone to do his fucking job. Now that he'd finally, yeah. I, I have to imagine he thought the road was finally open. Like no, no more Rossi. I could finally just on with, get on with it. I have a picture of him in my head when he found out that news of him just sitting there in his house like he did on Drive to Survive, just rubbing his hands to going together and going fine a fucking lady. Yeah, I can actually get going. And yeah, I can do what I want to do sacked. rather than what he's done. Uh, the fact that he's been sacked within a year and a half of his hiring is terrible as well because the team principles, etc. It's never the work of a year. It's even it's some, rarely even the work of two years. It takes a lot. It takes time for these things to actually get, in, especially a situation as tumultuous as this shit uh, with Rossi already on board when uh, Safnar came in. So there's already damage to fix. Uh, most notably, of course, like Alonso's gone, uh, Piastri's gone, uh, Budkowski already gone to do Prost gone and we'll talk about Prost as well like just like it, a year and a half is not long enough for this it's just not long enough and he should have been left alone to do the job also now everyone that always can be blamed is basically gone like so obviously like if you want to trail the link back like Bukowski's gone Rossi's gone Safnar's gone Permain's gone Fry is gone uh, like you said like and I'm saying this to you in the voice now the only the person the only person who is now left, oh, there's two people left of this, but the person who is, who was, I was before he's, before he's now vice president, uh, Bruno Fumar, he was head of the engine department in Shiri. The engine department, which as we discussed, is now being talked about for an equalization because the team didn't do a good enough job optimizing performance before the engine freeze kicked in, uh, the second part of the engine freeze kicked in at the end, uh, back end of last year. So he's failed in his job and yet he's the one that's got two promotions out of this because he's now the de facto interim team principal uh, right now until another appointment is possibly uh, done so we'll sort that out in this in a bit so he's survived you know he's arguably it's his and rossi's failing here yeah um they've overreacted to two things in the championship one aston martin starch has freaked them out and because they've made that leap even though i didn't I, at the beginning of the season i didn't think alpine were a million miles away from some of the other no, competitors no. they've completely they're, not, they're in the mix they like they were closer to ferrari they, at the beginning of the season than they are now of course uh, but you know, they, you think to back to Australia and Jeddah, they weren't too far away either. There was there was good foundations there, but because they freaked out so much what Aston Martin were doing, um, which I understand to a degree. But anyway, they freaked out on that, and then there's been a lot of stuff, obviously with the Mac- like with the McLaren stuff, and obviously Piastri kicking ass as well. Uh, so yeah, that's been bizarre. Uh, to, to do what else is there on the agenda with this? Uh, so yeah, so Fernand's got himself a promotion. The only person left who's who can have a portion of blame is Matt Harmon. So how long do we give him? How long is it him is before now he's now removed from the fray? Uh, why was he did immune? He not get a, did he not get a promotion as well? In this? Out of this? Yes, uh, I want to say he did. I think he moved up to something else. I could be wrong on that, but I'm pretty I positive he did. I don't see it here on the announcement. He's on so the just, headline, at least on the report. Yeah, I probably read that wrong. Then. I'm reading this um, for fans. But no, you're right. Like, 
who else is there to fucking blame? The social media team. Like it's the drivers mm. and like Maharan. They, they, these are the only two people left. And to 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 sack off Alan Permain, who has been part of the team for thirty four years since its inception as Tolman in nineteen eighty eight. Thirty four years. That man has been through every part of this thing throughout its various disloyalties from Renault and as uh, they've pulled pulled in and out. He's still been there. He's been, he's been, and we've talked about it the last year. He's been made to be at the front of this shite he's had to spill out based on Rossi's, like, for for all this shit Rossi's had to push on, essentially. He's had to be the spokesperson for all this shit. Uh, and, like, he did, he doesn't deserve this. Like, he's... He did, oh, he's I, a, I don't see what he's done wrong, unless he's just been like, right, I'm finally, I'm fed up with this. I'm not going into another dictatorship where Altmara or any, any of the team principals are not allowed to do their jobs. It's just not going to work for me anymore. And he's just had enough. Like, he's a hard-nosed, no-nonsense guy. Like, he would... He there's ha- no bullshit. There's absolutely none. He would crack heads together, no problem. He's the kind of person you need to steady the ship during this time. And he's been made liable for this shit that's gone on. Like, I, I think it's absolutely ridiculous and a... A, dis- a complete disrespect for someone who's given half of his life to this this team in all of its forms. Yeah, it's it's. I think it's incredibly disrespectful. Um, but it really, it really is. And I I honestly hope he lands somewhere that's absolutely going to wipe the floor with Alpine. I really do. Same with Alpine. Yeah, I imagine he'll take some time off because yeah, it's been a long, long time, and a long, long run. He'll be on guard and gone and leave regardless. Anyway, I believe, but because of his job title, but. I hope he lands somewhere. I hope he lands. I think I expect he'll land somewhere, and I expect off off will as well. But we talk about uh, very quickly on that just disrespect. Uh, Alan Prost was, uh, I think, naturally uh, pretty pleased about some of this stuff. Yes, but saddened too because because he was talking to Lekeep as well, and he said, "I love this team. I'm saddened and distressed to see it in its current state. It deserves better and has everything it needs to succeed. I simply believe you need to rely on history to understand what went wrong." If you look at the great success stories from the last 30 years, you'll see a simple, struc- a simple structure, unlike an industrial organisational chart, uh, built around three or four strong personalities coupled with a winning driver. And he cited the likes of Sean Todd, and Ross Bromarker, Michael Schumacher, and Mercedes and Todd Wolf and Nicky Lauda, and James Allison with Lewis Hamilton, Horner and Newey with Verstappen and Vettel. And he's one of those things to say about uh, this whole Renault thing as well. Do... In my years at Renault, how many times did I hear in the hallways of the headquarters in uh, Boulogne, Boulogne-Billancourt that F1 was a simple sport that could be managed from home by men in place? That was a huge mistake, as was proven with the last of the directors, Lon Rossi, whom Luca De Meo let go a week ago. Lon Rossi is, a, is the best example of a Dunning-Kruger effect, that of an inept manager who thinks he can overcome his incompetence with his arrogance and his lack of humanity towards people. That is a powerful statement, I feel like. A lack of humanity and arrogance. Yeah. So, and like, like Prost was obviously very annoyed and disrespected by the shit that went on with Alpine. And that pattern's continued uh, even after Laura Rossi's gone. It's, it is absolutely incredible. Uh, just, it's so bad. It's so, so bad. And they're in dire straits. And, um, yeah, it's... Yeah, it, it, it is a sorry save of affairs. But, like, like, what next? What what next? Who who, can, who do you think can pick up the pieces here as team principal? There's a massive job to do and seemingly fewer names that can go about it. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? I, I, I think 
Alpine have just been too late to the party here because if they were going to do something, then they should have done it at the start of the year, like post Saudi Arabia or something like that, when there were still people available to take. But we've said this for Aston Martin or Mercedes or even Ferrari, like, who is there left to take on the grid? So this is either got to be someone that's already out of F1, has been out of it for a few years, or they go and promote from inwards, but who's left to promote from inwards? Um... <laughs> Or the, like like I could like I say, just go completely outfield and go and hire someone that's out of F one entirely, like a completely different series. Which I guess is possible, but to me the only name that really stands out is is Bonotto, but I don't think he would want to go to this mess because he's basically had the same situation with Ferrari. And it's a big job for a guy that I don't think has got the right um attitude shall we say I don't think he's a natural leader I think he needs someone alongside him to perform as a team principal rather than him doing it on his lonesome like he did at Ferrari he just doesn't seem to have the right tools if you know what I mean he's not got the authority the the scare factor like Toto does or Christian does mm -hmm. if you know what I mean so it sort of leaves them short doesn't it because they've sacked all these crucial people but there's there's no one to replace them. Yeah. And like, like unless you want it's gonna cost us shit ton to get someone in. Like unless you want to try and bring back Cyril, but I mean I well, he's not gonna leave Hyundai at any point this now I don't think. I think he's committed to that project. The only thing I could come I could think of is that it'll have to be a similar because like who would want this job? Like if no one's established he's gonna really want to leave. It'd have to be a similar position where like it's like a James Vows going from Mercedes to Williams where a chance he's not going to get the promotion that you know he's not obviously going to go to the Wolves position you know, as such maybe not yet anyways but not yet but in the future someone Williams, yeah. who's making that who's like kind of kind of almost trapped in a team in a sense and i.e. Lauren Mackey's would mm. have been the ideal person here but I, they've been too late to this yeah <laughs> that would have been an interesting one there was rumour heck there was rumours about that earlier in the year there was that was um, the thing and they've missed that, so... But, like, that's the kind of thing we're talking about. Someone who's kind of an established team that's up there and who was dying for a crack at the whip. And... Because, honestly, like, it's a this is a poison chalice to be... Let's, let's be... That's exactly what this is. It really is. In its current state, which is, which is sad, because I, I don't like to see any team in a mess, but... It's just so funny at the same time because it's their own doing. I've not, yes, I said this. I've no, I've absolutely no sympathy. Like I've the only. No, I, I just have sympathy for this, all the stuff that's involved yeah, in it now. That's it. The drivers because it has and the literally, staff. literally been the most toxic environment to be in the last year and a half. It's they've been a laughing stock, an utter laughing stock between Alonso and the Piastri thing being swept under their nose was really horrifically embarrassing too. Like I think, like Zach yeah. Brown said, their his their pants are very much pulled down. They really were, and, and they really had that rubbed into their faces this weekend. Oh, but yeah, really ever since Sil ever since Silverstone, like it's been. Yeah, he's he's come alive, mm -hmm. very yeah. much so. Obviously, that's because of the car, but he's still. I think he's growing himself a little bit as well. But we'll get to Oscar. It's just, I, I just don't know what to suggest for them because it's just no. a it's a lose lose. They would have been better keeping Otmar where he is personally because they just look like absolute arseholes to me. And honestly, I, I hope Otmar lands in a place where he should be. 
and feels yeah. happy because there was apparent rumours that mm-hmm. he's already got a new team, but he can't share any information yet. Yeah. Now there was reports, obviously, that he was leaving the Aston uh, the Aston Martin group, so to speak, the, the uh, motorhome or the hospitality area. That's what it's called these days. Um, not that I think that's indicative. I think the obvious one, the one I said to you, that is that would make the most sense, uh, at least if you want to. Again, it depends on what their plan is. But I mean, the Alfa Romeo slash Audi gig is a solid, solid role. It, unless Audi have someone earmarked in particular. But they've but done. They've, again, this is who? Yeah, they've no team. Well, they could from, from other parts of their company, maybe. But like they've, they have no, they have no team principal at the moment. They have a team representative. And but they've no team principal. It's not uh, Andreas Heidel is the CEO, so like there's a natural there's a there's a fitting there. But where, like again, this is the thing like because the Alpine and Alpine were involved in this, it has been, like the team principal market like is it should settle down. It should be settled down there for a, quite a few years because half the grid change. Like you think about you, you cycle through, it's not gonna be it's not gonna be Mercedes, it's not gonna be Ferrari, it's not gonna be uh, flipping Aston Martin. Oh no, it's not gonna be Aston Martin. It's not gonna be Red Bull. It's not going it would to be, be if he went back to Aston Martin in any, in any capacity. Hmm. It's not going to be Alpha Tauri. Uh, it's not going to be Haas. Although that, you could see that potentially, but unless not this year, no, not, certainly not this year. It's that really only leaves. Like, it's not going to be McLaren, obviously, because they just promoted Stella. So that really only leaves Alpha Romeo slash Audi. So I mean, we'll see what happens. Yeah, and it, it lines up, doesn't it? I think. Hmm. Um, I think Andreas would be uh, silly not to even approach just to have a chat have with a him. Chat. Yeah, see where the land lies. How different do you think next year's car looks like? Uh, I just think they'll use an F2 car personally. Probably be better off. Because he returned to 2021 Alpine if BWT BWT Yeah, I, I, that's what I said to you, wasn't it? I assume BWT mm-hmm. will uh, depart now from, from this because they're all obviously... They follow Omar They love Ahmar and yeah. Drive to Survive was had an excellent illustration of that last year. Yeah. So uh BWT Alfa Romeo kick racing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well they waving me Alfa Romeo be Sauber. Yeah. BWT Sauber. Yeah, has a decent ring. White and pink. And green. What a combo. <laughs> uh I think just on Permain, I think he'd be excellent at McLaren. That would be an unbelievable hire. Him, him. I would personally be going all out for for Williams. I think that would be lovely. Everyone should be looking for him. Honestly, like I, I suspect he'll have multiple offers. I think McLaren would be an excellent one. Yeah, honestly. Or he could just retire. He could. I don't know how old he is, but he's he's got to be nearly sixty if he's been in the sport for thirty-four years. Yeah, which is crazy to me because I remember him mostly as I remember him first as Giancarlo Fisichella as a race engineer at. Uh, at Renault, and he was particularly brutal then as well. Yeah, uh, I can remember. Fifty-six. That. He's fifty-six yeah, he's got, years old. Still got plenty. 10 years I in mean, him. Pat Fry's fifty-nine, and he's got like he's plenty of time yeah, there still. He's still. He's still got ten years in him easily. Uh, right. I think that was. Oh, there's one thing I want to talk about with. It's uh, very quickly uh, just on Alex Pelot. And because there was a, I meant to send this to you actually. Uh, but it could be an option for two teams for F one. Yeah, uh, for next year. I have doubts of this, but uh, as do I. Yeah, as to what the situation is. So, 
this is from the race um, Scott Mitchell Mam and Jack Benyon who is their IndyCar correspondent as well uh, it's been suggested to the race by multiple sources that Haas and Alfa Romeo are not interested and Pelot's only realistic prospects are either Alfa Tari or Williams with conversations taking place at some level now okay. there is the complications to this is obviously that he's got the Chip Ganassi stuff and he can't talk to any other teams in IndyCar until September 1st uh, the whole, there's the whole McLaren thing and McLaren have already invested a lot into him with tests and as such and it is like if he can race in F1, I imagine they have a strong plan for him to race in their IndyCar program. So you know, there's if there's a complication there and there's red flags there, uh, which are I think which is what deterred the likes of Alpha Mayo and the such and Alpha uh, not Alpha Tari, sorry, um, yeah, Alpha Mayo and Haas. So yeah, I mean, if he does get an offer, do they stand in the way? Do, like, do you want to? Would you go to Williams or? Uh, Alpha Tauri, if you you know if you if that's no. if those are your two spots in it, would you? I I personally would just stay in uh, IndyCar and hope that and aim for the Nar seat possibly opening up. Yeah, if that happens, because uh, I think that's a much better option to do to because you're gonna have a you may as well kick ass in IndyCar and continue to build your stock and it, you know it's obviously in the, uh, sky high at the moment and it can, it can only get higher. You're on, you're part of a program, so you're gonna get tests, you're gonna get runs. So that's good. And then if something opens up, then happy days. And then maybe sooner than you think. Um, yeah, I would be going all out for that third IndyCar title, personally. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think that would be a statement of intent. And then that would really make the, the F1 teams notice. And yeah. then surely there's an opportunity somewhere because I think that gives McLaren time to sort of see where Lando's at if Lando gets poached. Obviously, you've got the situation of Red Bull and seeing how Perez reacts and. Yeah, it's it's all over the place, but like I think Pelot would be silly to go to a black market team as what yeah. Joseph Newcon alluded to. Like, what's the point? What is the point of going to a Williams or like? I know as as solid as these teams are, what is the point of doing that when you can just absolute kick ass in IndyCar and go for these wins and titles and all this fight at the front? Like, I just I I don't like I just don't see why you would do it. Yeah. And throw in a McLaren link in the process, which you know has you know, there's a potential of some viability in the future. If it's you know, so, I don't know. Unless he's all set for F1 at any cost, then sure, go for it. I mean, you can have, I'm, sure, I'm sure he would do well. I I, I, I think he's an excellent driver. Um, I just would, I just would think he's wasted in P16 when he could be smashing the thing with like winning the Indy 500 or you know in an in IndyCar. Yeah, exactly. That's my view. Right, uh, let's move on to the Hungarian, or oops, let's move on to the Belgian Grand Prix itself then. Uh, we'll, get, we'll kind of go through the ins and outs. We won't go through the sprint in its entirety, but we'll just kind of hit on various bits from both. Uh, a race that was a uh, shock, one with Max Verstappen, uh, ahead of his teammate Sergio Perez, who moves back up to the podium places. Uh, their 10th 1 2 as a, as a combination. Yeah. Uh, Verstappen and Perez. And then Charlie Leclerc was in third, ahead of Lewis Hampton fourth. Alonso fifth, George Russell sixth, Lando Nars seventh, Espen Ocon eighth, Lance Stroll ninth. And Yuki Tsunoda rounding out the points in 10th. So, quickly then, uh, winners and losers of the weekend. We'll just start with Red Bull very quickly. Uh, and Verstappen, uh, not the not the, not the the cleanest of, uh, I would say, sprint quality was uh, obviously only just nabbed pole, uh, broke hearts again uh, by denying Piaget by a hundredth. He did say there was more time in the tank, so maybe it wasn't as close as it actually was. But, uh, yeah, I guess... Again, Saturdays have been super entertaining. Uh, obviously, they really have. 
it's a little less close on Friday. Obviously, mixed conditions throughout the weekend. Sunday was the driest, really, of everything, to be fair. But yeah. it seemed to, yeah, they didn't seem as comfortable. Obviously, the one practice session, the practice session that was heavily compromised, a very few people got to run out on, and it was in the wet. So only one practice session to lock in your, your setup. So maybe there's a little bit of that at play, but uh, race day once again comes, and it's just, uh, yeah. Well, we did, it wasn't 45 or 50 seconds in the end. If it had been a normal weekend, then maybe it could have been. So, but yeah, pretty dominant stuff from Verstappen today. You did have to obviously start from uh, sixth with the grid penalty, with the gearbox. I'm surprised they didn't take it a bit more. They may do that in the future, maybe Monza. But it, yeah, obviously, he got the job done on Perez and then uh, last in really pulled away uh, for a 22 second margin in the end and extends his lead at the top. Yeah, literally. It's. It's just another solid weekend. It's just, what more can you say? Yeah, eight in a <laughs> row now. smashed it, yeah. Eight in a row, 12 in a row for Red Bull this season. Mm-hmm. It's, it's ridiculous, really ridiculous. And Perez did his job as well, so can't really fall in. Yeah, arguably the biggest point of tension of the whole weekend is the seemingly increasing tension between Max and GP, his race engineer. I don't think it's tension. I don't know. There's a lot of bite back this weekend between the two. In the race, like talking about using his head, in qualifying, obviously, there was that whole kerfuffle about because he barely, like, here's the thing, he barely squeezed through. Like, I've, I really feel like Gasly really missed, missed, missed a big chance to cause an upset. They've, F1 really let off for stepping off the hook in a Q2. They did. They really did. It was, what, like 11,000? They had, like yeah. That. They had one chance to do it. And, and of course, I've been fucked up. Yeah, I don't blame Magnussen as much. Well, he did hit the wall, but uh, Gasly would be the one I would have thought would have had the best chance. And yeah, missed out. That's the difference between starting P16 and, and P6. Not that I think it would have changed the overall result, but it would have been at least more, no. f- more fun to more watch fun. him work for us. But... And another position further down the grid for him to win from, I guess. Yeah, well, yeah. Do you know what the stat is for this now? He matches Alonso's record. Mm-hmm. That is correct. Do you know the number? Nine. Nine different grid positions. Nine different grid positions for nine wins in a row. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, no much else to say about that. Uh, Perez, just very quickly. Let's see if anything else to add for Verstappen. Uh, no. I don't have much to be fair. Perez, just very quickly from him. Obviously, a tra- I think this track is, you arguably could say, is Red Bull's strongest period. Yes. Right now? It suits everything on their car down to a T, doesn't it? It's got mm-hmm. a bit of everything. Uh, Perez, obviously, the de facto leader for most, or not most, whatever, a good chunk of this race, obviously, take it from the clerk. And yeah, obviously, for Stappen passed him, but Perez is, the result is fine, is, is obviously the best as it could be, but this, the last stint, the pace wasn't brilliant. I'm sure there's a degree of this that was just bringing it home, but yeah. the pay, he did really fall away. So there is concerns there. Like, arguably, Verstappen was basically almost a second and a half quicker. Literally. But um yeah, good was a little bit less obviously. Like but it's like his oh gosh, when do you think the last his last P two was? A long time. Miami? Was it even then? No, it wasn't even No it was. It, it had was, to be. Yeah, had to be. But even then the sprint race didn't go to plan, but that wasn't really his fault. I yeah. Guess. I mean I didn't realise like I didn't like I you looked at the replays and it didn't look like much contact, but there was a Whole punch, punch, uh, punched in his car, which I didn't really realize until afterwards. Yeah, literally, it's so bad. Mm. But I wasn't really, yeah, it wasn't his fault as such. It was a strange. While we're on the subject, of, I, 
it looked very harsh the penalty from Hamilton uh, for Hamilton at the time it looked bizarre but in in context with the hole that was put there they obviously put Perez basically out of the out of the sprint so I guess that was fair in the end but at the time I mean I thought thinking that was extremely harsh yeah but, um, definitely yeah a good weekend for Red Bull obviously as you would expect uh, who else do you have as a winner of the weekend uh, Charlie yeah Yay. His pace was solid. I actually thought his race pace was quietly solid. It, it has been for the last few races, to be fair. It's, um, obviously, you got to see more of the race than I did, but from what I could see on the highlights, I thought it was pretty comfortable to, to Lewis So and just manage the race. He was always going to get mugged down the straight on the first lap by the Red Bull. Mm-hmm. That was always going to happen. He even said to, to Perez that he was going to try and lift off, but just didn't bother because there was no point because it would have just left him in more of a problem problematic situation with uh, with Lewis so just focused on his own race and just yeah made the most of it I guess not much for all he could have really done I don't think but on it was encouraging to see him not far a million miles away from Perez and also stay ahead of Hamilton two cars that have given Ferrari obviously some trouble so it was good to see that it was the pace was really strong I thought from from Leclerc uh, and obviously keep Hamilton at arm's length and obviously they pitch it in the end for fastest lap so uh, that they couldn't obviously get the job done and overtake or get close to Leclerc or get within DRS so I thought he, he had a really strong uh, really strong race pace uh, I, I thought Sainz looked good for a lot of the weekend too yeah same same it's just um, some very strange views on Sainz but uh, yeah, what did you what did you make of the lap uh, the, the turn one incident? Because I actually leaned more so that it was Science's fault than Piastri's. I agree. Science said that on Twitter that Piastri was very optimistic. I disagree. He was alongside, deserved the space. I think Carlos had more than enough space to his left to at least give him a bit more than putting him in the wall. Mm. Well, obviously, um, there's the Hamilton vector that came into this as well. He was, he was in front, and then obviously tried to go across and. Yeah, that, that corner is, yeah, it, it narrows off very awkwardly, but Carlos could have done a better job. Oscar could have backed out, to be fair, but sure. it was too late at that point. So I would say it's like a 75-25 in uh, Carlos's fault, to be fair. But at the end of the day, they both ended up finishing in the, the dump. Yeah, in the same place. Uh, yeah, we've seen cars get pinched on the inside there. Verstappen twice, I think, has actually done in 16. Yeah. Uh, famous, more famous in 16, but obviously 19 too with Raikkonen. Uh, and that obviously basically put, put him out of the race uh, up the hill. But yeah, I I thought Piastri did, did a little bit more. So I thought, yeah, I I'm, I actually think it was more 60-40, I would say, on Sainz's behalf. Yeah, that's fair. But they kept him in the race. They hoped for a red flag. And I understand maybe why, but... Uh, in the end, it wasn't the rain wasn't heavy enough, and the the red flag never came. And then yeah, they're obviously much better off retiring the car because yeah, he was he was plumb last essentially before they decided to do it. Yeah. So, but I thought, by I genuinely thought his his pace was was good throughout the weekend. He's had he's had a quietly he's had a very solid run here. He's definitely overcome some of these early season demons uh, that he had at the start of this year. That was his first retirement of this year, by the way. Yeah, he went down to three drivers that have scored points every race now. Which is sad. Yeah. Uh, who are they, actually? Max, Lewis, and Fernando. Mm, all from main races, of course. Um, yeah, not current sprints, obviously, mm-hmm. because uh, Alonso. <laughs> yeah. For old Spinneroo. But yeah, I thought a good weekend for Ferrari. A track that I wasn't sure how they would fare. 
Yeah, it was sort of an uh, one that I could see them doing terribly at, and I could also see them doing better than normal. But in the end of it, um, they were they were second fastest they were, then. I they think. were they were second fastest, not necessarily on qualifying pace, but I think that was just purely because of the conditions and the, the lack of uh, time to set the car up properly. But mm-hmm. I think they, they they were quite easily second fastest. Yeah, so we were kind of wondering who it would be. I wasn't sure of it. I thought maybe Ferrari or McLaren, and. Yeah, Ferrari did a, did a very good job there. So, yeah, I've, they actually do, like, they still outscored Aston Martin despite only getting the one drive driver to actually do it. Yeah. They now are only five points behind Aston Martin. So that change is coming. Yeah. And Leclerc has finally moved ahead of science in the standings now after that uh, result. Yeah, finally. Fucking hell. Yeah. 99 points. 99 points, which is level with George Russell. Yeah, and signs of ninety-two. So there you go. So that that change happened. It could obviously they're close. I think it's still back and forth. But yeah, that, that's been coming for a little bit. But now it's finally finally done. But yeah, good weekend for the scuderia. Yeah. Uh, who else do you have as the winner of the weekend? I'm going to say Lewis. I'm not going to put George in a winner. Yeah. But yeah, Lewis. I I honestly because of the highlights, I literally saw nothing. He finished fourth. That's all I know. But I would say yeah. that is a good result in terms of where that car is at. I didn't expect him to beat the McLarens, to be honest. Um, which he technically didn't on the Saturday. But um, on the Sunday, when it came to the actual race on dry running, he was more than more than happy to uh, be uh, ahead of them. And yeah, third, third quickest car, it turns out. Yeah, I think Hamilton drove a very quiet and solid race. Uh, Russell got caught up behind the science damage early, and yeah, the the, the rest of them they just pulled away from that whole that whole field, and uh, Alonso didn't have the pace of the the Mercedes, and Russell was kind of in that pack as well, and ended up being stuck with them, and that's where the difference was in the end. Uh, they went for the one stop with Russell, and I thought the pace was pretty good with that. So I think Russell had things worked out differently; he would have easily finished fifth as well. Uh, but with the one stop and then obviously all the other tyres along to the two with the fresher tyres they, they had the gap so that worked out in his favour but uh, so yeah solid weekend for Mercedes they have a very comfortable lead there for second in the standings they are I think they think are 50 points clear now of Aston Martin uh, they're 247 to Mar- Aston Martin's uh, 196 yeah so that's that should be a done deal for them now unless Aston really book up their ideas and there's no, such, no evidence of that yet so far but yeah, and Alonso. Oh, yeah, Hamilton is going to be passing Alonso soon here for third, which is significant. Uh, he's one point behind now, Alonso for third. And of course, you know, third place gets to go to the FIA gala at the end of the year. So, you know, very, oh, ex- very exciting. Uh, so, that change, I think, will be happening pretty soon. But, yeah, a good weekend for them. I I don't have much else to say. I did, I have to, did have to laugh, though, at this one particular headline from Toto Wolf. Um, how he talked about this the stolen title of 2021. Um, oh god, we're not going there again, are we? Um, he said, "Made uh, made us underdogs. People cheer for, like what? What utter nonsense that they've become an underdog. People cheer for, like imagine, like you'd have to be a fan of like five months to or a Mercedes fan. Like, like no one should feel sorry for them. They had a, a unprecedented level of dominance that the sport's never seen before." Uh, they can't just I know they're underdogs in the sense now they're not the quickest car but like just just amazing stuff that's a top top level delusion there from Toto Wolf brilliant stuff no nothing new there 
So, yeah, yeah, nothing new there. But, yeah, a good weekend for them. Uh, I'm going to give a win of the weekend to uh, Yuki Sonoda. As you should do. Mm. An excellent race for Yuki. P10, so another point for him. Uh, he was, yeah, uh, I was, he was running really well early on. He was up as far as 6th, I believe, in the yeah, early part of this race. Uh, he started from 11th and made up some good spots. And car was competitive. Uh, the the uh, yeah, fell away. He was catching Stroll at the end of this race. Now, Stroll was on the one stop. So there was that involved. But couldn't hold off Ocon in the end. Was able to hold off Gasly for that final point. Um, but just a really good weekend for Sonoda. But the best weekend I think he's had for quite a few weeks now. So that was a, a much-needed one after uh, after Hungary, I would say. Yeah, and obviously this one, the arrival of Daniel Ricciardo. Um, yeah, really sort of cemented his place and said, hey, I'm still here, you know. Mm-hmm. I do think Ricardo would have been definitely with them had Ricardo not made that mistake in qualif- uh, in Friday qualifying where he went over track limits at Radion. That was he very would have been for, yeah, yeah, that was very costly uh, for Ricardo's weekend in total. He just got two carbon traffic as a result. Like it 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 was a huge reason why he was where he was on Sunday. There was just too much traffic. Snoda had benefit of clear air and that really helped. I think Ricardo's pace was good. I think he did drive well, and he obviously drove. I think he drove really well on the sprint as well. Just the car performance in the wet wasn't quite there to hold him on for a point in the end. But I think the, the big difference to them, you, I probably Snowden would have the advantage. But I, I, I think track position really hurt Ricardo here, and that mistake ended up being pretty costly for his uh, for his weekend in on Sunday. But I think he's got two races under his belt now, two full races, differing conditions. I think he's got a good baseline heading into after the summer break here to do some good work. I, I think he, he can be pleased with these two races and how these, these have gone, even if he finished P16. Yeah, I agree. So, uh, he, poor chap, he was stuck behind uh, Haas. I think it was, I think it was Hulkenberg for quite a long time and just couldn't, <laughs> couldn't get by. Straight line speed didn't really, uh, wasn't really fantastic on that AlphaTauri in the end. So, uh, yeah, it was so much so that and Alpine actually caught off and passed in the straight. So there, so there you go. Yeah, well, yeah. to an extent, there was there was some good moves in the end. Uh, I will actually give Alpine a small win of the weekend for their I'm on track. Um, because Gasly did very well uh, to get P3 in the sprint. So P, P, uh, a piece of glassware, not silverware, I will say. Oh, they've changed the glass now, have they? They, they change this all the time. I, know. I swear. Every, every sprint, it's different. <laughs> it was a cap. Also, I love the, the cap that Max got for uh, winning the sprint shootout. I was like, yeah, I said to my girlfriend, I was like, yeah, that's going in the bin. <laughs> Shitty Pirelli cap. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Uh, the trophy I thought for the actual main race was very nice. And they broke that yeah. as well. Yeah, they broke it. Yeah, it's a good love stuff. That. I think this one's a bit more fixable than the, the Hungry one. Which is in uh, being fixed, by the way. Mm. So. Yes, yeah, so Lando was properly apologetic for this one uh, this he weekend was, over. Yeah. So yeah, I think I think he realised maybe his comments were weren't uh, maybe construed as a little insensitive given the time and effort to that had gone into making it. Yeah, I don't, I don't think he realised it took that long to make it. Yeah, is, I think yeah. I think so. So we'll let him off the hook for that one, I suppose. Yeah, but a good weekend for Alpine, I thought, in terms of their obviously got a good result with Gasly in the sprint with a P three there, so very nice for him. One of the overtakes of the season, shall we say, as well, in natural main race on album. Oh, yeah, fantastic. So both fantastic of, move. Both Alpines had excellent overtaking uh, on the race. Uh, Ocon was it Ocon well. on, on Stroll, I want to say? Not on Stroll. I, I think it was on Yuki. 
That's the one, yes. Sorry. Yes. Um, both of them around the Fangia kind of chicane area uh, after uh, after Puan. So yeah, where you are not expecting people to overtake. That is like literally, especially around the outside for Gasly, it was so ballsy. Fair fucking play. Yeah, both of them hung around there. So both of them had excellent overtakes. They did well. Uh, nothing for no points to show for Gasly in the race. Uh, Ocon needed one more lap to get Norris essentially, but still finished P eight. So he did well. Um, I think. The Alpine's pace, I think, was pretty solidly, was pretty, was quietly solid. They had upgrades, of course, a new floor. Um, I think when they have a better understanding of some of the parts and then they can obviously have a bit more time on Park Fermi to change some things and look at some things, I think they're in a not too bad position on track. Okay, we'll see how it works out. But I th- Yeah, but um, we'll pa- see how our belief goes. <laughs> <laughs> their, their pace was pretty solid, I thought. So a, a decent little return for them uh, out, of, out of everything there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, and obviously Pierre dedicated his podium to Anton, which I thought was quite fitting. Yeah, he also did like a, he invited the F three, the F two, and the F one paddock um, or team personnel uh, for a run on was a Friday. It was a Thursday in the end. Uh, so a run for Antoine. Uh, this is now year four since it happened. Uh, did you see his message in his card on his flowers? Yeah, I did. I'll sh- I'll show them or I'll prove them wrong or something like that and mm. look at look at what happened. So obviously it was purely a strategy because of the switch from wets to winters, but it, they nailed it to be fair. So can't really yeah. can't really blame him, and that's what got them on the podium. So it's one of the most poignant pictures every year. Now we go to Belgium is uh, Gasly laying down the flowers at the. I'm barrier. glad he still does that and makes the point of it. I am too. I don't think he'll ever stop. He was one of his no, closest of friends, won't. and like this year was extra. Uh, it was extra mellow, I think, because he had like it was torrential rain on the Thursday as well. Yeah, and obviously with Diliano as well on top of that, that sort of um, spoke a bit of volume. I think it sort of bore bolt wounds. Definitely, it was a, top, a topic of conversation in recent weeks. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, he was very conflicted about the whole thing. Like he's, he, I think he, I think he'll always feel conflicted coming back to this place. He did, of course. he did feel fear a little bit for the safety in the sprint as well uh, when that was going on. Yeah, yeah, naturally, obviously with Pirelli being Pirelli, mm. which we'll get to post race. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Um, but yeah, could be good for Alpine. I thought on track uh, to. It's not. It's not going to make any any of this other stuff disappear, like the Arcon podium in Monaco. But still, yeah, it's a solid job there. Uh, did you hear the winners of the weekend? Oscar. Yeah, there's a few angles with this one. Why don't you? Yeah, talk to me about Oscar Piastri. Um, I thought he was the better McLaren driver this weekend, quite comfortably as well. Um, obviously we didn't get to see it in the actual race, and McLaren had a massive deficit when it was dry running. Yeah. Um, because their wing was just too draggy. So that is going to be a big problem for them in Monza unless they can change things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know I've seen on Twitter that they are rushing through a uh, a smaller wing to uh, sort of counteract this absolute deficit that they had when Lawrence was basically getting mugged 24 7. Oh, it was straight. really bad. Really You're talking really like bad. Ferrari 2020 levels of mugging on the straights. Um, but yeah, Oscar. Absolutely nailed it and probably should have got pole for the sprint, I thought. Was robbed and obviously so rightly disappointed, but still managed to um, literally, he led the race in the sprint, which I thought was amazing. Uh, Didn't last very long, of course. Um, But he was on top of his game and was unlucky to um, sort of lose out 
in the actual race, but I don't think it would have gone too well. But I think would have expected him to get points at least. Probably, probably like finish P10 instead of Yuki. Mm. So, but yeah, he sort of he's really brought himself to the forefront the last few weeks. Yeah, I think. to be fair, like the feeling I had after the sprint qualifying was like he's he's arrived now. Like this is the guy that we believe the talent from F3 and F2, like the champion of like back-to-back champion F3, F2, the star that we had the, you know, we thought he was going to be. I feel like he's arrived. He's obviously got a lot to learn. So he's still a rookie. Like Hungary is a great example of that with, with the degradation. But I feel like, yeah, he's very much arrived now. He's, he, you know, like I said, not the cough, cough, I think with Norris was quite comfortable in the end. Yeah. Probably should have had pole or was very close to it. It was sad to see him lose that. Let a race. His pace, I thought was good in the, Wesh as well, difficult conditions. He's handled those really well as well. Uh, I can't think it was a good learning uh, curve for some of that, to be fair, as well. Uh, the race, yeah, hard to say how the race would have gone. I, yeah, because we saw it Norris. Uh, to be fair, we, we give a win the weekend for McLaren salvaging P7 for Norris out of that race. Uh, yeah. The key for them was that they pitched just as the rain was falling. And Stro- uh, sorry, Norris was like four or five seconds quicker than some people on that fresh rubber in that in that period. He drove so so well, and was able to make that work. In the end, having got off the hards and onto the, uh, he did twenty plus laps on the softs. Like he was, it was twenty five laps. Yeah, excuse me, really good stint. He made it work really well. So the team did an excellent job of the strategy. He did an excellent job in the race. P seven was more than what they should have got given uh, where that car is at, which. Yeah, like you said, like when the dry conditions came, that car sank. So I, I, yeah, the rear wing obviously didn't help. They did have a DRS update to try and help some of the straight line speed stuff with to compete with Red Bull, but obviously that didn't need that in the end, so to speak. But I think this answers partly answers some of our question about because we like they went to Silverstone high speed where they were favoured to do well. They did well. Hungary, a good surprise, a high down kind of high downforce mid mid speed, um, kind of track. Did they were a second quickest car there? Kind of, this was the kind of the last test for them in a sense. Like, what what's their top end speed like? And this track kind of does amount, kind of combine both. But you're on throttle for a lot of this lap, and it does show that if their car is still a bit too draggy, it's not quite as efficient in a straight line. This is the kind of track where their transformation isn't quite complete yet. Yeah, and that's going to be very predominant to Monza when we get there, which is strange because. Obviously, they won there a few years ago because they had such great line, straight line speed. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, just if they get that right, then, geez, we might have an actual battle on next year. I think, rather than just be a, mm. a stomping ground. But we'll see, I guess, because they're going to finish fifth at the rate uh, at the rate they're going. Nice voice break. <laughs> um, so, they should get lots of uh, aero time with mm. that one. Uh, Actually, Piastri was ahead of Stroll uh, before this race on the points, but two points for Stroll at the end there got him uh, got him ahead again. So Piastri's on thirty four points to Stroll's. Uh... Oh no, sorry, I'm looking at sorry, I'm looking at Ocon. Sorry, Piastri would be close to Ocon in the standings now, uh, which is funny. For 10th. But it's good. It's good to see that McLaren have got two drivers that are capable of smashing out that out the park when the other one quite doesn't have it mm-hmm. weekend, which is amazing because they didn't have that for the last two years. Yeah, for the, for the most part, yeah, uh, especially last year. But yeah, a good weekend. For, uh, yeah, so a good result for them, although they should be a little bit concerned. We'll see how much they can figure out and turn around at Monza, maybe make that a little bit less painful, although there's a lot less, there's a lot fewer cornering elements at Monza than there are at Belgium, so... I expect them to go very well at Zambor. 
very very well Ooh. could be could be a good one yes uh, as I expect maybe case for Aston Martin who I'll kind of throw in as a middle of the road here because um, they've got a good race result a P5 for Alonso was a good result for them finish ahead of Mercedes obviously both McLarens in the end a Ferrari obviously it wasn't in the mix so to get P5 out of qualifying P what 9 and 10 I think was pretty good for them and Stroll had a decent race I thought as well uh, yeah a one stop for him uh, held on at the end there against Sonoda but uh, and he was very unhappy with the balance of the car was really unhappy with it so I think he's done I think he's done pretty well to end up where he's at. So, yeah, I thought a good result for them. Uh, an uncharacteristic error from Alonso in the sprint. Yeah, and obviously Stroll got screwed by the uh, FIA in sprint qualifying by them not declaring it a wet session, so he couldn't go out on soft, so he was forced to use the mediums, and obviously it went tits up and he put it well, in. Uh, yeah, he, I mean, he could have used the inters like everyone else, but... Yeah, but... And Aston waited, and then... They end up strolling the screen them both because A, he crashed out, so that screwed Alonso over. And then at the start of the sprint, half of the teams obviously not wanted to double stack at the beginning of a race. Half the teams brought their cars in, left the other 10 around. Because Stroll was ahead, he ended up getting the call ahead of Alonso. So Alonso was on the, a worse tyre, despite the fact that it was Stroll's. I don't like. I don't blame Stroll. Like it wasn't like I don't blame him for the crash. It was a very difficult track surface, heading especially into that corner. But I don't know. Was, so I mean, you can argue it was, it was unfair for a stroll to be shafted, so to speak, or to you know pit second when he was the car ahead. Um, but yeah, it was, just, it was just, a lot of ironies around, wasn't there? Yeah. Uh, but I thought they they did a good. They did well enough to recover ten points from that or twelve points from that race. Yeah, so, definitely. So they'd be pleased enough about that. And I don't have much else to say about Aston Martin on that subject. No. Same with George Russell, who's in my my next meh. Yeah, we've kind of talked about Russell. He's kind of in that pack. Um, yeah. So yeah, not really anywhere. No, I should say didn't didn't fare well, obviously in sprint quality, but good good comeback through the race. Yeah. For a point, I think the last point at that. Uh, do 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 who we covered? Who else we not covered? I thought Bottas's yeah. race was so quietly solid. P twelve. But again, a couple of seconds behind Gasly. Yeah, just Alfa Romeo, just sort of, yeah. They've been there. Not, nothing to rave about. No, not really. Not uh, terrible either. Joe made some, some good overtakes towards the end of that race as well. Uh, got through the field a bit. Uh, he finished P13 in the end. But uh, uh, nothing spectacular, but a solidly quiet race for the both of them, I think. Is it is it weird to say that I don't have actually any real major losers this No, weekend? I don't either. Like, I thought Magnussen had a pretty... I actually thought Magnussen's race was actually pretty good for where he's at. yeah. So I thought considering the car, the, 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 this is the point, isn't it? I don't think the drivers are having bad weekends. They're just sort of maximising the results with what they've got. There hasn't been anything real to say. Hang on a minute, they've mm-hmm. really fucked up here. We've already spoke about Oscar and Carlos. Yeah, like Hulkenberg struggled to... this weekend, um, but again, I think it's limitations with the car as well. I thought Magnussen got the it's... better out of it. Yeah, I think Hulkenberg's one of them that needs the three practice sessions to sort of maximise the results. Um, because he sort of needs the time to get the car sold how he likes. And uh, obviously, he struggles with tyre wear, and that house is really bad on tyres. So, mm-hmm. uh, it's uh, not the best. Yeah. But mm. Ricardo, I thought, got on. We've talked about Ricardo already. I think the ones that were probably the most disappointed from this race weekend would be Williams. 
Yes. For two reasons. One, it was mostly wet, which, which they're, so their straight line speed advantage really got sucked away because of the conditions in the wet. Obviously, you're, you're obviously not traveling as fast, so there's more emphasis on downforce, and that's just not something Williams are strong at the moment. So their advantages were nullified for a lot of, uh, for a qualifying especially, and they got, yeah, the track position wasn't great for them. Uh, then the race came and it was was dry and Albon flew up the field. It looked like the promise that, that was we had expected before the weekend because he flew up immediately like five positions on the softs and got himself up to the top seven, I believe, and yeah. was flying on softs. Their degradation on mediums was terrible, really, really bad, and that really shafted them. And that's why Albon had to make that third stop in the end. Um, they couldn't. They were really poor on the mediums, and they couldn't hold on. So Albon came in. Sargent really struggled as well. On uh, right to seventeenth as well. He was. He's beginning to sound increasingly despondent after races now, and I'm a little concerned about that. Oh dear. But in particular, like if you look at the on YouTube uh, every week, F1 posts like the end of the race radios from drivers. It's one of my favorite videos of the week, actually. I do love love listening to it. Sargent did not sound happy. He was in a scrap with Sainz for a while, Hulkenberg too. Uh, just they, it was an, that, that car was a rocket ship, and Alex Albon said he had a lot of fun, regardless, in a sense. Um, but not the result they would have expected heading in here. And I just think between those two things, uh, yeah, not having the practice session probably like an extra practice session probably didn't help their cause either. Every team's in the same boat, but uh, yeah, I just think yeah, I think the wet running didn't help them, and I think a nasty surprise on the mediums. Yeah, it was unfortunate for them. Yeah. They're still very optimistic about Monza, though, and they should be. Good. So I, I think... That's a nice major thing. Yeah. Arguably, like, that's their season that's finale, good. I think, in many ways. Yeah. Like, what if what that's... they do there, I think, will set them up for the rest of the season, and they have to hope that no one else can have a good enough uh, weekend to catch them after a good weekend in Monza. Literally. Um. So, that and I, I don't have any other thoughts, to be fair. No, that's literally it. Uh, oh, race, race so, weekend. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I lose the weekend to Pirelli as well. Oh, of course, for admitting that their own tires are, are shit. Yeah. So great. Yeah. So Russell started this by saying the we've talked about we talked about this in particular at uh, Singapore and Japan last year. Mark Hughes was on the race races podcast and he talked about it after the Singapore Grand Prix about the wet tires being basically a safety car tire. That's that's where I first kind of heard of like this kind of notion about it. Uh, Russell echoed this notion about safety car tyres and called them pretty pointless. And then in a bizarre admission, Peretti basically agreed. Like, I know it's true. Why on earth would you go even half to admitting that your product is pretty useless? A full wet tyre, which was like six to seven seconds slower. They said maybe this performance is still not enough to generate the right crossover with the intermediates. Yeah. It's so, like... It's so bad. These t- like these tires. How long have we had these tires now? These rear tires. Uh, since twenty eighteen. Twenty twenty seventeen. Yeah. So this is a year. Yeah, just I can't like go either go back to the narrower rear tires. Like, is why can't we like that could be a good first step. Like, why do we need to have these massive tires still? Didn't we agree that the last regulations, while incredibly fast were flawed. There was a time where the rear tires were basically the same as the fronts. What is why can't we go back to that? If it would I think it would the wet tires were certainly better uh with those smaller tires than these giant rear ones. 
Mm. Can we not do that? Can that not be a start? What we do? Uh, I thought we agreed. To, I thought we agreed that these previous regs were flawed. These bigger rear tires were a part of said regs. Um, so that's an odd one. But yeah, they've in the seven years they've not got this right, and I don't understand how that can be, that can happen. But anyways, oh to beat a dead horse. But yeah, just a shocking admission there. But brilliant stuff as always from Pirelli. So yeah, inter- interesting stuff as always. Yeah. Right. Uh, race rating out of ten. Um, based on my eight-minute highlights. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, I will give it a seven. Yeah. Do you know what? I'm not. I'm not gonna disagree. I might go six and a half myself, but like a good six and a half. There was lots of action in the midfield. Midfield was a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. To watch, and there was a little bit of spice with the rain. Not a lot. It, it times dropped off, but. No one had any major skids. Verstappen had a near miss. It was about the only thing that almost went wrong for him. A near miss yeah. at Radion, uh, or Eau Rouge, rather. So that was fun. Uh, but that didn't lead to anything, and the rain did. Like, yeah, I, it was as the team expected. It kind of came for a few minutes, and that was it. Yeah. I'm going to spend this week at work watching the races while I'm stood there doing nothing <laughs> on my machines. So I look forward to that. Yeah, midfield was fun, especially in the early parts of the race. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, and like sort of good overtakes, like uh, like the Alpines, and it was a good mix. Uh, do, 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 right, very quickly. Uh, a quick, I want to quickly talk about Formula Two because uh, we'll go over more detail next week. Because now it's, it is a summer break in F one, so we got a, a number of weeks. End of August is the next race. So and I have not had a chance to watch these. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> so there's lots to be said about F2. I will say now, just with, I assume you know the results. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I know all the results. Okay. From every, so we can officially say Jack Doon's back in title contention. I know he's 36 points, sorry, 38 which points is, behind poor chair, but. Which is fucking stupid because why has he stupid. decided to show up halfway through the fucking season? <laughs> uh, there's three rounds left. So 36, 38 points is not. Like, considering where the deficit is already made up, it's not impossible. Um, yeah, but the, the the thing is, what's he going to do if he wins F two? This this is what I was coming to. Like this, is, you've read my mind here when it comes to this. Can we officially now reach the point where we say Doohan has fumbled the bag, so to speak, of an F one chance? Because obviously he was part of the Red Bull Academy, the Red Bull program before the start of last year. The Alpine shit that went down actually ended up creating a seat. But obviously he was overlooked for said seat and obviously he went to Gasly instead, which I don't think is the wrong decision. It's just... No, it's not. Uh, obviously, like, the, this, is the, this is the thing with Alpine. They've never once promoted one of their drivers up to one of their seats or got another one of their drivers into a seat. Uh, Joe was kind of on his own back. Yeah. And, like, literally, I, do, I just don't see the logic in it when, at the time, when he joined Alpine Academy, he had Oscar in front of him as well yeah that was that was also bizarre because he was clearly next in line um, and he was probably I would have said he was top of the Red Bull junior drivers well he would go just into behind Hauger yeah it was yeah. just behind Hauger because he was literally because he finished yeah exactly he literally only got Lawson and Vips who weren't mega talents to be and I would say he is a better driver than the pair of them yeah I would too uh, so like, and we've well, had... Unless he's still got the ties with Red Bull, we don't know, do we? I can't imagine. It could stage. be an option, but I don't think it is considering that Alpha Tari is sort of, I think, will end up sticking with the two drivers they've got. Yeah, personally. more than likely. Uh, which begs the question if Doohan was part of that setup, surely he would be the shoe in, the Doohan, the shoe in for an Alpha Tari seat, if not already, possibly even. 
Yeah, he would have been in the conversation at least. Anyway. Yeah, like heck, if doing it like doing this ended last year's F two season really well, I'm almost certain he would have had the super license points. He could have been in the start of Alphatari at the beginning of, the, of this year instead of Nick DeVries. Yeah, but with the with the amount of Alpine running he did last year, he would definitely got a super license. Yeah, hundred percent. Plus, obviously, I think they would have done it to cover us anyway in case things went south with Gasly. Mm. Plus, obviously, a runners-up spot in F two F three is worth a lot of points, and he finished uh, last year. F uh, he finished sixth in F two, which is which is in the bracket for solid. Enough. Yeah, that's enough com- in combined with uh, obviously the the F one practice sessions and yeah, like the F three points as well. So, yeah, I feel bad for him because. I think he's a really good driver and now we're going to see it again like we saw last year at the end of last year and I think he would have been I think he would have been set for an F1 seat if he hadn't moved I just don't see how he's going to get it because uh, no one's promote, ever moved up to the to the Alpine team from the juniors and the one person who was going to uh, was still under their nose in Piastri so and we've got Joe in F1 off his own back essentially now Lungard's a race winner now in, in IndyCar uh, you know, it's quite, it's yeah, it was an interesting choice from, from doing. I feel like he's shafted himself slightly. I don't, I'm not going to rule out possibly he still end up in F1. I still think Williams would be a great option for him. And yes, for them. So do I. But yeah, it was, it's just interesting that I've seen him back in the mix now. Uh, two race feature race wins in a row now. Um, very much in contention. So yeah, that should be fun. Uh, the F3 stuff was a bit weird because you ha- we had the sprint race originally not counting for anything. And then accounted for something. Uh, again, we'll watch. We'll, you, we'll talk about it in a little bit more detail. But um, lo- oops, long story short, um, they've let Bortoleto off the hook here, and Bortoleto is going to win this championship. He needs two Just one point. Yeah, he could have had it if he not been squeezed off heading into. A, oh, they've, I've heard it called Ravage and Bruxelles both this weekend. But anyway, a move that would put him into the top ten, and he had fastest lap. Yeah, which would have won him the title. Yeah, so. which would have done it. So, uh, but only for the fact that Aaron scored twelve points over the two races. Yeah, that's it. Twelve points to get it under thirty nine was the magic number. Uh, does this race car- this title carry on to uh, to Mon- uh, carry on to Monza? But fumbled fumbling of the bags from Pepe Marti, uh, mostly Pepe Marti who got pole position, and yeah. Uh, it's the, apparently a great race though. yeah well we had half the grid decide to go on wets and a bunch decided to stay on dries uh, the guys at the front went on dries the guys in the back went on wets and and it was the wets that came to fruition I assume seeing us I saw a graphic where the the, the eventual race winner Taylor Barnard was moving up like 17 places yeah Christian Mansell was up 21 uh, so yeah, that's that's basically how it went. So pretty much, uh, is that the, the first time a Genzer has won a race, like ooh. a feature race? Anyway, I want to say it is. It probably is. They finished first, and I think third and fourth. Yeah, yeah, they did. Because Nikita Bedrin. Yeah, another podium for Bedrin. Yeah, I know they've got some. They've got quite a few podiums. And Alex Garcia, but... I think, is the other one. Yes, that's right. So yeah, an unbelievable weekend for them. They gained fa- oh, yeah, the- over the weekend. They scored six. They scored sixty-one of their eighty-six points. <laughs> Mental fair play, though. Yeah, fair maximize play. It, maximize your result, which is sad as well because that's there's only two fucking F three races left. That's it. The season like this is it. The season finale is in uh, Monza, and the title's done. This pretty much it would take an unbelievable fumble, and 
that's the thing. Like they they just got it. Like they everything that you could have wanted for this happened. Like Borussia finally ended up outside the top twelve in F three qualifying. That was it. It was done. Pepe Marti on pole. Like that was like Bortoleto down with like fifteenth, and yeah. they chose the wrong tire, and that's it. It's it's job done. Uh, Aaron's now in second. Is, the thing is, Bortoleto is not a sexy pick. No, the, the the guys at the front of F three have not been a sexy pick. There is there isn't an F three driver that makes me go, oh yes, he's talented. Like there is in F two, and even then there isn't many in F two. But then those the, the two guys in F two that I think. Have got the t- what it takes at rookies, so yeah. It's... Like if you look in F two, like the drivers I could like get behind. Poor chair to an extent. I know his, his stock has stagnated a bit because he's been here so long, but he has been well, he is... very consistent and has been quick. There's four there. Lightning. Okay, yeah. this this four that I'm like, yeah, you guys could probably make it. Poor chair's not done himself any favors, but is leading the championship now. Yeah, and obviously it was doing which we've just referenced. Yeah. And then the two rookies, it really is. And, and Martins. Yeah, that I'm and I always think, think, think the title battle between them two next year is going to be fucking insane. Oh. If they stay where they are, which I assume they will. I assume they would. I um, don't see why they would move. I think we could both agree that Porsche and Vessi won't be back next year, regardless what happens. Oh, and Duan. And Uasa. I'll be very surprised. Uasa, I could see staying. No, I, I think he goes super formula. Hmm. Yeah, it's not a bad I think show. that would make, make the most sense. He, he, he achieves nothing by staying in F2. Yeah, you're probably right. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm same four as you. Porcher, uh, Doing, Martins and Behrman. Very easily. Um, I still think the the people who've had the most raw pace, I think, have been Martins and Behrman. Yeah. Martins, I think, guy. more so. Yes, on a consistency basis, yes. Um, but Behrman's performance in Baku has done more for me than what Martins has done but saying that Martins smashed him in Silverstone yeah but like I think Martins has been great from minute one like he like he has yeah. he's made like, the mistakes obviously like obviously Jeddah was a rough one and obviously hitting the back of Hauger in Australia wasn't great but he's been up there at the front end of the field from basically the first outset yep and that's carried on he's tied to an absolute shambles so that is the problem probably won't get into F1 so yeah good one yeah, it's unfortunate. Um, and yeah, Behrman has hope, but oh no, Ber- Behrman will be in F one. I have no doubt about it. Yeah, I feel like that as well. I, I've, yeah, it's just it's easy for me because that it, it, that's just a simple Ferrari focus on one driver at a time. I think, and that's the next logical one to move up. And he's too young to not move him up unless he fumbles the bag like Rob did. But saying that Rob didn't really fumble the bag. There are some things out of his control as well, of course. There were some things out of his control and sometimes where he cocked it all, but yeah, look how much his career stagnates. Yeah, it's, it's again, we've said this, I think I said this at the end of the 2021 season, I think he's been shattered by how good Piastri was. Literally, literally. I feel bad for him because I think any other year he probably would have won. Uh, and Get him into IndyCar. I think that's the nice There are rumours about it. There has been. He's been testing with a few teams. Ganassi, so. I think, to name one. Yeah, it was. I don't think he get if he gets like a nasty drive as man as Armstrong. I'm going to lose my shit. I'd love it, when, but I'd be very agreed with the other drivers. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. I'd be like, <laughs> just just give Callum the Ganassi drive and put Rob in in Honkos. I think that would be a nice swap. Sure, I agree. Yeah. Uh, then very quickly, then we'll talk some Formula E. Uh, title is Dunzos. 
uh, Jake Dennis. Um, uh, <laughs> well, he basically won it anyway because, yeah. Because um, Envision are twats. <laughs> pretty much. Absolute shambolic stuff. I, I, did, I did not see the race, but I saw what had happened. They did not deserve to win the Constructors, which they ended up uh, doing in the end. But, yeah, they. it was so weird. They should have just let uh, Cassidy go from Buemi. But you look on Buemi's onboard, you do not feel a thing. You would never know that Cassidy got his wing underneath Buemi's rear. It's incredible. And, like, Buemi was all confused afterwards. Uh, like, what happened to Nick? Uh, they had no idea they should have swapped them it was shambolic management uh crazy race like a like dennis struggled to keep his cool at times uh he wanted verline to help him even though they're pretty much i know they're the same supplier but different teams it was an odd one but yeah um that was a little bizarre yeah sadly this rate this championship was that what that didn't help what really killed this championship though was uh mitch evans's uh accident in uh, the second Rome pre where he took himself and Cassie out of it and Dennis won the race <laughs> yeah but wasn't there an accident over one of the two races where there was a massive pile up and there was just a load of cars stuck yeah I think like Monaco 2019 at Rascast but yeah, then multiply it by about thinking. five <laughs> yeah um, it was all like I can't remember who it was but like one it ended up like a driver ended up going to another one like it was like as behind like because they're all bunched up of course um so yeah, it was a bit mad. They had to red flag it essentially. Only the t- oh, only God. the front three got away with it. <laughs> also, um, some fantastic, exciting news that I'm sure you're going to be ecstatic with. Yeah, it looks like Dan Ticton is staying with Neo. Oh no! I bet he's loving that. Oh, I actually do feel for him. I think he'd be up there. No, I, I'd, I'd feel for him as well. But surely he's got an offer from another team. I know. Surely, somewhere, just fuck off to IndyCar. <laughs> he he would be so good in IndyCar. The ego would be insane. We said this at the time. We were surprised. Like, why wouldn't he? Now, I think we understand how much more difficult it is to get into IndyCar now than Formula E. But even still, like, we think like he's much more made for Indy than Formula E. And that's... A, oh, it would be pretty. so good. The ego. Him and Will Powell would be so fucking funny. Him, Power and Grosjean. Oh, my God. There would be fist fights. I, I was going to say, he'd be there would be punches thrown for sure. Absolutely. He's, he's an F2. <laughs> the podcast has been Joe that's been going as long as the fucking podcast, so I'm not going to back out with, a, <laughs> with an opportunity on the plate. Michael Andretti was obviously there at the weekend. Um, Who? <laughs> Stefano, Stefano doesn't know who that is. No, he does not. He doesn't want to know. What do you think about Jake Dennis in IndyCar? Nah. You don't think he's so? He's Formula E. Okay. Yeah, he's he needs another title to convince me. I think it's only I'm his not... third year in Formula E. I think is it okay? But yeah, get me another title, and I'm, I'm, I can be have a different conversation. Mm. I, I think they've been sort of lucky that their powertrain is sort of the best at points, and he's been a consistent prick. So, but yeah, a consistent There's... prick that won the title last year is fucking nowhere. So you know. <laughs> Apart from driving around in a, a pretend Aston Martin that he's never going to get a chance to drive. Yeah, a pretty underwhelming title defence of Stoffel Van Dorn, if we're being honest. But yeah, but that's it. Formally, he's done for the year. And I'm kind of yeah. sad because if you look through, like, you think of the different categories. Like, F1, the action's been mediocre Shit. at best for the season. Uh, F2 and F3 have been okay. I'd say F3 has been better. 
than F2. Wank. Um, IndyCar, I think, has been good. It's been good, but dominated just as much as F1 has. And I'd honestly say Formula E has been great this year for across the season. Very few races have been poor. I will agree with you. Is for actual racing itself, it has been more the most engaging series out of the lot, which is mm. very tough for me to say because that is something I never thought I would be saying. Me either. Just shows you how much of a shit job everybody else has done. Hey, well, in terms of F1, it shows how shit the other teams have been. In comparison to Red Bull, but mm-hmm. you know, NF2 has just been fucking mid. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, it's been so inconsistent and it's unreal. And F3 has just not been here this year, I don't think. Not as much as last year, obviously, is. But mm. yeah, for me, it's been interesting because this this last E Prix was really interesting because like this is the first like a member that has opened up as much as it did between like the red flag of like the safety car behind, being behind the safety car for the first six laps. And so basically, so like energy was not an issue at all. Drivers could basically push, and the top th- like Mitch, uh, Evans and Cassie just pull. Like we're talking like twenty second plus leads, like which is like unseen territory for F therefore formerly like this year. Like it hasn't like this is the most spread out I've seen a race in, in its entirety of this year. Like that's how weird it was. It was just one of those races um, mm-hmm. where it was just magic wasn't the thing because it was like it was obviously very wet as well. So yeah, it was, an, it was an interesting one to end, but yeah. But I'm, yeah, it's gone, I'm going to miss it, I have to say. Uh, and obviously, Formula 3 is winding down as well. So, yeah, so before long, it'll just be F1, uh, IndyCar, and F2 for the next three months. It's not long until IndyCar's done. That's the thing. That wraps up in September, so... Gosh, yeah. Down to... Down to well, and then obviously, F2's fucking pointless anyway, so... Because you got that three month gap so yeah although it looks like like we do have a genuine almost like four way title fight now that's not out of the question yeah so that has been yeah. roped back a bit good so. that, that gives us something but... mm. the races have been better of late for F2 as well so I will say that they have been I, I will be, be able to judge better because I'm actually going to be able to watch a bit more mm-hmm. um, but that's it I believe that covers our lot for this week's edition of the Switchback Formula 1 podcast is there anything else you'd like to add at all or no, I'm actually looking forward to watching the race. So mm, should be good. Uh, so yeah, uh, if you have any again any questions or queries or topics of conversation you'd like us to visit again, that's uh, switchbackf1 at hotmail.com. Who um, the fuck uses hotmail? Honestly, <laughs> what the fuck? Um, so get them in if you want. I've, the summer break is here, and I'm sure we'll be in need of content. But I'm, I uh, yeah. So excited to see some of those perhaps but uh, yep that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Switchback Formula 1 podcast I've been Graham I've been Shane Van Gisenberg who has confirmed he's going to NASCAR next oh. year so that'll be an interesting watch would have liked him to have gone to IndyCar not going to lie but um, yeah if you know who he is what a man maybe what someday man. maybe someday and uh, we shall see you next week goodbye